All right, and welcome in to the Suspended Indefinitely podcast for the week, uh, actually the date, 11-16, um, Wednesday 11-16. We'll release these on Wednesdays each week. So yeah, week two of the podcast. I'm your host, Justin Reschke, with our co-host, uh, Ryan Noonan, who is- How are uh, we doing, bud? Doing good, man. Uh, you're you're currently down there in Florida, but uh, you're, 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 you're headed my way later this week. Is that right? The the holiday season is upon us. The Thanksgiving holiday, to be precise, which means that, uh, as you all know, you know quite well, I'll be uh, eating way too much, mm-hmm. uh, and I will be yelling at the TV on Thanksgiving Day watching football. So that's always something to look forward to. Yeah, there's some good games on Thanksgiving Day. <clears throat> yeah, can you, you hear know, the dog toy in board. the background? Uh, absolutely, Seb's nice. got this okay. one going. I love it. That's yeah, beautiful. he was That's beautiful. And that ambient noise is beautiful. I love it. But he, uh, will, he will chime in from time to time with his opinions for sure. He yeah, was, I mean, if if I say something stupid, or I, I shouldn't say if when I say something stupid, Seb, if he gives like ten barks in five seconds or ten squeaks of a toy in five seconds, then I know I messed up. So. Yeah, that's just him, um, you know, shutting you you down immediately. So no, no, that's just Seb judging me. Which I mean, <laughs> you know, you judge you judge me for everything, anyways. So that's uh, you know, you got the dog trained really well. So that's good. Yeah. Um. But yeah, man. No, I'm at, I'm at a hotel right now. Um. Because as you know all too well, when it comes to early flights in the morning, I am not a morning person. So I'm staying. There's this really sweet hotel right inside the Orlando International Airport, and I'm staying there because. You know, I have to get up early, and I, I don't trust myself to, you know, I get up way, way, way early. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, I'm coming Smart. out to Palm Springs. Yeah, no doubt, dude. I'm coming out to Palm Springs. Got a wedding this weekend, and looking forward to catching up with you, bud. That's going to be fun. Yeah, um, lot to talk about. Uh, big, big weekend, you know, for us coming up. Um, you know, with you being in town, there's of course uh, you'll be down here uh, Sunday, so. Full day of football, um, the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix, which is this, the season finale for Formula One, which should be exciting. Uh, Cannot of course, wait. Episode two of Yellowstone Sunday night. That's going to be that's going to be a long day with a lot going on. Oh, that's, that's going to be, be actually that's that's episode three, but uh, the, there was the first two that came out last this past Sunday. Technicalities. It's week two. I mean, who cares? Yeah, it's, okay, fair enough. It was it was the season premiere. Yeah, I guess if you go on IMDb, like you're some sort of nerd. And if you look up the episode guide, you know, technically you'll see, you know, S5, E3. Nothing. I'm just saying, like, you know, if you really care that much, <clears throat> I was I was unable to see straight by by the time that I guess episode two started Sunday night. So for <laughs> me, for me, it was all one big episode and it was fantastic. And I'm looking forward to uh, to Sunday. But it's um, just so good. It's just so good. Oh, dude, it's such a such a fucking good show. But <sighs> um. Yeah, so I mean, we we mentioned, you know, one of the things coming up this weekend is the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix, the finale to a good Formula One season. Not you know, not one that was as as competitive and as controversial as last year for sure, but one that you know saw the introduction of brand new regulations, uh, really brand new cars with some pretty radical changes versus what we've seen um, over the last was, several this years. The first season of the was it this the first season of the uh, the cost cap for all the teams? Yeah, for uh, well, uh, second season of, of the cost cap, but um, the first season where it was really you know in place from the time of development, gotcha. like 
all the way through the season. So yeah, you know, kind of the first full season, depending on what you define as a season. But before we get to Abu Dhabi on Sunday, last week was the Brazilian Grand Prix, which is always a fantastic race. There always seems so to be good some to have sort of one back in Brazil, dude. Yeah, there always seems to be some sort of weather, you know, affecting the weekend somehow, some way. Um, it's Brazil. It's you know, used to be in October. Now it's in November with the expanded season and everything. Um, and once again, you know, it it delivered, and something different, a little wrinkle thrown in this year um, was the sprint qualifying format, which I don't know if I'm a huge fan of yet. You know, I don't know. A lot of fans love it. It adds some extra drama to the weekend. A lot of fans hate it because it's not traditional and, you know, you end up with a car that qualifies on pole, may not actually start the race itself, you know, from pole and it shuffles everything up. But I just um, have a love-hate relationship with it, dude. Uh, exactly. I really yeah, I'm still I'm still undecided. I, I, I think that you've, you've got to keep it the same and uniform throughout the season and you can't just pick and choose, you know, a handful of weekends here and there that are going to be sprint weekends just right. because, you know, like you said, for shits and giggles, it's just that's just why but well and i'm going to go into further detail later on once we get into a particular topic about why i have a love-hate relationship with this written format in f1 um but dude i i'm kind of in lockstep with you on that one it, it drives me crazy yeah but i mean it did deliver this weekend you know i've i've, I've got to say from friday all the way through sunday you know, there was meaningful on-track action, which is which is the goal of the sprint weekend. It's it's to add some meaning to Friday. And on Friday, of course, we had practice one in the morning, which sucked. It was boring, whatever. Um, so boring. So boring, dude. But qualifying Friday afternoon saw a first-time pole sitter in Kevin Magnuson for the American team, Haas. Yep. So I felt very free. Um, I felt very patriotic. Uh <laughs> seeing seeing the american team on pole in brazil um and the way that that happened was interesting because you had a session with mixed conditions and there's i mean this this session changed the course of a lot of teams seasons you know going into the final two races that being brazil last weekend and then even coming up with abu dhabi just points wise but Starting with with Kevin Magnuson taking an unexpected pole, the way that that went down was you have mixed conditions. It was a wet track, and then it was a drying track as the rain kind of pushed off a little bit. So you had the teams start on the intermediate tires for the slippery conditions, and then you saw teams move to uh, the slick tires um, later on, and then the rain came back. So by the time that you got to Q3 in that final phase um, – you know, the early part of the session, the track was still fairly dry. And that's when Magnuson put in um, a really stellar lap. I mean, even even if if the weather didn't come back and other teams, um, you know, were allowed to set times, I feel like Kevin Magnuson would have been in contention for a top seven, you know, ish starting position the way that, that, that he was going. But either way, George Russell binned it in the gravel uh around the six minute mark or six and a half minute mark remaining um in q3 and that brought out a red flag they had to get you know some heavy equipment on the track to remove uh that car and right as all that was going on that's when the rain started to move in and really pick up and nobody was able to set uh a fast lap after that with the track conditions uh 
deteriorating. So ended up with Kevin Magnuson on pole. Pretty interesting um, how that happened. If we had a dry qualifying session, you know, on Saturday, you know, it probably just would have been your standard, you know, Max Verstappen P1, Charles Leclerc P2, you know, signs or Checo Perez P3, that sort of thing. So, you know, very good that um, that we had a little bit of drama to mix up qualifying. Well, this is my problem with the um, sprint format, right? Because every time somebody takes pole, usually they're going to start the race in the front, right? I'm ecstatic yeah. for Magnuson, right? I'm ecstatic for Gene Haas. I'm ecstatic that an American F1 brand gets pole, right? But, mm-hmm. but you know, to go from Magnuson capturing pole to then, you know, how the race shook out on Sunday in terms of the starting grid, I hate it. Because, yeah, you gotta, well, you got to look at it like this too, though, because I think Magnuson, the way that he got the pole to begin with was a little fluky, right? Oh, yeah, it was it was totally fluky. Absolutely. Right. And but, you know, I, that, I, that's, that adds to the intrigue, and, you know, sometimes fluky is interesting. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, having the Mercedes 1-2 um, for the first time this season was, um, you know, a bit I, – I was happy for George, don't get me wrong, but um, – you know, I I just I have such mixed emotions about the entirety of of the sprint format, and I think you're right. I think they either need to have it be all sprint or just get away from the sprint altogether. Yeah, and I I don't think that they're going to go all sprint with a cost cap because you know essentially you've got two two races in one weekend, and that runs up a damage bill. It sounds to me like Seb <laughs> agrees with you on that one. And yeah, and the uh, the the cost to repair, you know, cars after a single race in a weekend can can leak into the the seven figures, um, and it obviously goes against that hundred forty five million dollar cap that you have for the whole season from development all the way through. You so, know, I can only imagine what I can only imagine what the 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 bill is for Williams every time the TV crashes. Oh yeah, for sure, <laughs> it's their whole budget. Yeah, um, which he um, brings to the team, yeah. so it's fine. He he pays for himself. But after qualifying, I mean, yeah, Magnuson starts on pole. George Russell, the eventual Grand Prix winner, you know, on Sunday starts uh, P three in the sprint. But right. by the time that you get to the end of the sprint, everything at the top is shuffled up, and all of a sudden you have uh, you have George Russell um, winning the sprint, and you have Carlos Sainz moving way up to P two, Lewis Hamilton P three. Max Verstappen, P4, Sergio Perez, P5, Magnuson, the pole sitter, finished the sprint race um, back in P8. So, you know, it's that's a little more of a representative grid when you look at, you know, the fastest cars because you have, uh, you have Mercedes, you have Ferrari, and you have Red Bull um, all yeah. within the top six, you know, not quite two by two, but the six fastest cars are starting the race in the top six. So it's a little more re- representative, but you've got your pole sitter that who starts the actual race, the race that matters on Sunday from P eight, even though he qualified on pole. So that's, you know, that's what I don't like about it is I, and I'm, I'm a traditionalist when it comes to these things, you know, right. I like, 
I like the records. I like talking about the history. I like talking about the impact that what we see on track today has when you go back decades and decades, you know, back to the 60s and 70s. And F1 has been a world championship since the 1950s. And Grand Prix racing has been around, you know, for decades even before that. So there, there is a historical context when you talk about these things. And when we first introduced the sprint format, um, we there was a big debate of, okay, who is considered the pole sitter? Is it the car that qualifies the fastest or is it the car that wins the sprint race and starts the Grand Prix from the front row and from the front See, that's spot? that's my problem with the sprint format right there. There's always that lingering debate and it just yeah. drives me crazy. Well, it took them two years, but they finally decided that they will award pole position for historical purposes to whoever qualifies P1 for the sprint and that the sprint results only determine the starting grid and that technically there is no pole sitter on the starting grid. You just start from yeah. P1 if you win the sprint. It's it's weird. But I mean, yeah, it's it definitely works. It's definitely entertaining if that's your goal. Right. But you lose a lot of consistency. Um, I really don't think the teams like it very much. Uh, you know, teams usually like to know what, what to expect. They like to lay their strategy out. Um, well, didn't they, weren't they interviewing Otmar on the pit wall? Was it Otmar that they were interviewing on the pit wall? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Kind of throughout right. the weekend. So, yeah. Right. Throughout the weekend. So I think you kind of collectively see an expression on all the team principals faces of, oh God, here we go again with the sprint weekend. Yeah. And I, you're, you're risking tearing your car up. You're risking something crazy happening and affecting right. your strategy. You're also burning through sets of tires. So it changes your strategy for Sunday because they only have right. so many sets of, uh, of each compound of tire. And you have to use two out of the three compounds that are available to you um, in a race weekend, unless it's a wet race, of course, but you can't predict that really that well either. So it, yeah, it throws another variable. It's great for the fans. You know, it's great for kind of the Netflix fans, I guess, that we see today that just want, you know, the drama and the constant entertainment. But over the course of a season and over the course of a championship, I mean, I would I would probably lean towards doing away with it and just keeping the format the same, you know, race to race. Yep. Um, I mean, because I, I can't like even that. imagine if, if, you know, you had a sprint race the second to last race of the season yeah. and something were to happen that affected the championship and it's you know something happens that only occurs at three races a year and you're like well okay speaking of things speaking of things that you know occur at each race i mean would it be an f1 race without ferrari screwing the pooch even a little bit right oh for sure yeah i mean that was okay, i'm that sorry was... Dude, it was right there i just had to take it, it was right there <laughs> no i mean that that was that was exactly what i wanted to touch on too because it started in qualifying and it went all the way through the whole weekend with them and we've okay. seen it all season long it's just it's second guessing themselves it's not having a clear plan i mean how many times do we hear charles leclerc on the radio to you know calling his own strategy and saying like okay you know let's move on to plan f you know, or well, what you so that's kind of 50 50. He's kind of like he's 50 50 diva, and also the other half of it is the guy. I mean, he knows what he's talking about, I think, a little bit, right? Yeah, um, I mean, you, you should have a driver, you know, who is 
you know, call it not even a third of the way into a Grand Prix, you know, certainly right. not to their first pit stop anyway. And he's on his own radio and saying, hey, you know, let's switch to plan F, which I believe was the radio call that he had a few races ago to his own team. Well, and if Ferrari knew what the hell they were doing, he wouldn't be calling out his own strategy. No, like you really shouldn't have to call your own strategy. You're the driver and those teams on the pit wall, they have not only about 30 to 40 people that travel with the team and most of those are looking at the telebrity, the telemetry and they're crunching the numbers and they have all the information in front of them. And they also have a lot of information for what the other 19 cars are doing on track as well. Yeah. They're the ones that should run those simulations and formulate the strategy and then relay the information to the driver and be very clear. Okay, Charles, we're moving to plan B. You need to extend these tires, you know, by another six or seven laps, um, you know, and, and manage, manage your, your tire wear and manage your performance. And that's well, that. it sounds to me like Ferrari should hire you to be the team principal, dude. You're better at strategy than who they have now. They could hire Seb the dog. They could hire uh, a bar stool. They could hire, you know, an, an empty bottle of bourbon and it would call a, a better strategy than the way that they do it right now. It drives me nuts. Yeah. And we saw it again in qualifying. And I mean, okay, great. Kevin Magnuson ends up on pole. Cool. What happened... Right. What happened in that session, and Charles Leclerc actually got um, – I'm going to pull up the uh, results just real quick again here so I get this right. But- well, and while you're while you're calling that up, I'm just going to tell you right off the bat, I, I really can't wait until we start making fun of Mattia Bonotto because he deserves every <laughs> bit of it. Yeah. The fact that that guy still has a job or maybe he doesn't have a job depending on all the TMZ nonsense that you're reading right now. Oh, yeah. But- we're for sure going to get into that. Oh, God, I'm telling you, I, how he's still employed and has been, I'll never know. But I'll hold off on that for now. Yeah, but, I mean, we saw it in, in qualifying with Leclerc. Um, he was the only car in Q3 to go out on the intermediates for his for his first flying lap. And you don't just drive out of the pits and set a lap time and come back in. You drive out of the pits, you warm your tires up, you charge the batteries in the car for the hybrid system. And there's a whole process. There's a whole warm up process. That's your outlap. Then as soon yeah. as you hit that line, then you go for your flying lap. So that's two laps that are down and Q3 is only a 12 minute session. So that's, you're looking at probably about, I mean, four minutes, so about a third of that session that's just kind of wasted. Then as soon as you hit the finish line for that lap, then you have to come all the way back around and you have to cool the car down and cool the tires down and come back that's around to the eating up time. That's, that's eating up time. That's like another, you know, almost two minutes to get back around into the pits. Then you come into the pits and you check your fuel level and you might put on fresh tires. And all the other cars, they came out and by the time that they were ready to do their second runs, they were all on slicks because the track was drying. Ferrari left Charles Leclerc out on the intermediates for a second run. So he had to charge the battery, cool the car down, come back around, and then they left him out there for another run on the intermediates when every other single car uh, went to slicks, including it Kevin just, It just seems like every race, they find a new way to screw something up. Yeah, right? and I mean, you... Well, because you, how many times have you and I said to each other, 
Okay, I bet you Ferrari won't find another way to screw something up this week. I bet it's, you they it, can't it's, find it's any impressive. more ways. It's impressive how bad they are at oh, just it's unbelievable. At, at fucking themselves over. And I mean, I mean, yeah, Charles said I, it on the radio. He asked, he said, uh, "Am I the only one not on slicks?" And Ferrari said, "Yes." And Charles came back and said, "Beautiful." So that's just, he's God. he is fed up. And, you know, now we can kind of get into the rumors that are going on with Ferrari. And, you know, there was news that broke in uh, Gazzetta, uh, which is an Italian, you know, newspaper, usually fairly reliable when they report, um, you know, sports, whether it's Formula One or whether it's soccer or, or whatever it is. They're fairly reliable. You know, the but- Italian media, they revolve around Ferrari this time of year with Formula One and there's there's always going to be rumors and some of them are going to be false of course but um this particular source and this reporter and this this outlet you know they they do have a decent track record and they do have a relationship with ferrari so as they say where there's smoke there's probably fire it might be carlos Sainz's car that's on fire but either way, <laughs> either way, I that. think that there's some fire there with Ferrari, and I think that the fire is firmly underneath the team the team principal seat of Matteo Binotto. Yes, so I, that gratuitous shot at Carlos Sainz. <laughs> I see. I see. Yeah, yeah. Well played. But the was, report, the report is that Bonotto is going to be out as of January first, which is you know pretty standard contract goes through which the end like, of the year. Two, two years too late. Oh, for sure. Opinion. And the rumor is that Frederick Vasseur, who's the team principal at Sauber right now, will replace Bonotto because Sauber has Audi coming in to take a controlling stake in the team. They're probably going to want to make their own changes. So it's a good move. Yeah, for they're going to get their for, own people in there. Yeah, for sure. So it's a good time for Vasseur to look bigger and better. Here's where it gets spicy and interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. So two key figures that I want to talk about in this. One, Charles Leclerc, who, you know, number one driver at Ferrari, signed through 2025, I believe. Um, And John Elkin. John Elkin is the CEO of of all of Ferrari. The car brand, the Formula One team, the merchandising brand, you know, where they license the Ferrari name to everything from, you know, toothbrushes to sunglasses to golf balls or whatever else. He is the CEO of all of Ferrari. He is not very involved in the Formula One team compared to past CEOs, Mm. but he has a great personal relationship with Charles and it was his call to sign Charles all the way through 2025, which was a five-year contract, I think, at the time when he signed that deal. And that was, you know, that's fairly unheard of for Formula One. But Charles has been a uh, Ferrari junior driver since he was, I think, 16 years old coming up through the juniors so he's a ferrari guy so it makes sense and he's and he's quick as hell well well the other side of that rumor is that charles and mattia bonotto have not been speaking to each other since silverstone which is way back didn't you send me a photo of like mattia looking like he's sending charles to his room without any dinner yes so that was at that was at silverstone and where again ferrari blew the strategy um charles could have won that race and they completely blew the strategy and after the race that photo was taken and it's mattia you know kind of scolding 
uh, Charles because Charles got out of the out of the car and immediately went to the team to question the strategy and looked very upset on camera. And Ferrari and Bonotto specifically didn't like that. You know that that interaction um, ended up on camera, and then in turn, Charles didn't like that Mattia kind of scolding him and and disciplining him for that ended up on camera yeah. as well. So at that point, they agreed to disagree, which might be why we saw. Charles calling his own strategy from the car, you know, later on in the season. If you're not talking to your team principal, that's like not talking to your head coach. If you're, you know, an NFL quarterback, it's, it's I just pretty have a feeling that this whole, I'm, well, but see, I know that, I know that he's signed with Ferrari through 2025, mm-hmm. but I have a feeling that that relationship is, he's going to, okay, Ferrari and Leclerc are headed for a divorce, just like they did with that. Mm-hmm. I I mean the, the if the, if this keeps going the way it's going, I can bet you dollars to donuts that that Leclerc is going to be like I'm out of here. I'm going to go to a place like McLaren where, you know, I can drive a hell of a better car than what you're giving me, and they know how to strategize for God's sakes. Well, or, yeah, I mean that's that's the thing though is they they have a fantastic car. They right. um I mean. Just up until a, a few races ago, Charles had more poles than Max did, but Max had way more race wins. And a lot of that was down to, to Ferrari strategy. Some of it was down to Ferrari reliability, but every car is going to have reliability issues at some point. What I'm saying is, the is that it's, it's, it's the inability of Ferrari to strategize. They can't, they can't do it. And yeah. it's, it's just crushing them. So I, if I'm if I'm Leclerc, I seriously think about going somewhere else. Right, and I mean I'm sure that that he has, but he is locked into that contract, and it's at a point now where it's you know if the rumors are be to are, are to be believed, you're looking at okay. Charles goes to John Alkin, who's his buddy buddy CEO, and says, "Hey, you know, I've got a problem with Mattia. We're not talking. Is Elkin going to choose?" you know, his superstar Grand Prix winning driver, or is he going to choose, you know, his team principal? Because the other side of it is Bonotto's been there since the Schumacher era at Ferrari. I mean, he's, he's been there for like 30 plus years. He's not somebody that they brought in the last few years. Um, But we've seen this from Mattia as well. And when uh, Maurizio Arriva Bene, who was the team principal before Mattia was there, um, he clashed with Mattia and Mattia went to uh, the Ferrari board at the time and said, either he goes or I go. And uh, Mattia could have been off to Mercedes and, you know, to head up their engine department. So Ferrari didn't want that. So they fired Arriva Bene and they elevated Mattia Bonotto to team principal. And Bonotto was never in a, a leadership role, you know, that, that high of a leadership role. Anyway, he was always an engine guy. He was, he was working in the engine department, then he headed up the engine department and, and that side of it. But he was never really dealing with drivers, certainly never really dealing with strategy. And now that all gets dumped in into his lap. And I think the experiment now, you know, is kind of failing and it's it's really time to move on. He was a constructors guy, right? Yeah, you know, he was he was very much behind the scenes. And it takes a different t- type of personality. I mean, like Christian Horner, Toto Wolf, very big personalities. Zach Brown with, with yeah. McLaren, they love to be in front of the camera. They love to be talking to people, but they're very charismatic. 
And in turn, that makes them very good at managing people. And every single F1 driver on the grid is, is an alpha, right? Like they all want to win races. They're there to win. It doesn't matter if you're Nicholas Latifi and you run around in last place every single race or you crash. It's he gets in the car. Nicholas Latifi gets in the car thinking that he has a chance to win the race every single race. That's the mindset that you have to have. And in a team like Ferrari that has the biggest budget, you know, year after year, um, prior to the salary cap era, you know, you were the cost cap as they call it. Um, Ferrari would spend, you know, in excess of $300 million every single year, no problem. And they were right at the top. Now they spend up to the $145 million cap, but there's ways to fudge some numbers in there. Um, they certainly have the, you know, some of the best talent personnel wise in the sport. Um, and yeah, it's, you know, you would expect more from them. So I, me personally, I think it's time for Bonotto to be out. He had his chance. He tried to call his own shot when he got Arriva Bene fired. Arriva Bene had Ferrari in 2017, neck and neck with Mercedes for the world championship for over half of that season. I mean, Sebastian Vettel was winning races. Um, Kimi Raikkonen was finishing, you know, on the podium. And things were going good at Ferrari with Arriva Bene. And then all of a sudden you're going to say, you know, as soon as they have some momentum, you're going to say, oh, that guy has to go or else I'm leaving. That's that's bullshit. That's that's a really shitty, childish way of handling things, I think. And, you know, okay, you had your shot, Mattia. It's not working. Yeah. I mean, there's been a lot of childish behavior going on in F1, it seems, as of, as of late. And, uh, you know, I, I just – that's why I kind of felt that Brazil was a little bit stale just because – I don't know. I mean, it, 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 there was just not a lot of suspense there, right? And I don't know, again, if it's because of, of of the format or if it was, you know, Ferrari just being Ferrari as they usually are or, you know, if it was, you know, Max and Checo having their issues. Or, I don't know. Like, it, there's just there was something that was just a little bit stale about that race in its entirety, you know? Yeah, the, and, actual, the actual racing – you know, it lacked a lot of wheel-to-wheel battles, but there were a lot of interesting things that happened within the race. One, I mean, well, actually really two things uh, revolving directly around Max Verstappen. The first thing was his penalty with Lewis Hamilton, which I don't think that should have been a penalty at all. Everybody has thrown That was an opinion. absolute joke. I've seen, you know, that by the letter of the law and the new way that they want to call those types of penalties – you could say that Max should have backed out, but just looking at it. But how many times has Lewis made cheap shot moves and escapes penalties? Right, Lewis. Lewis it all has. The time. He took out Max at Silverstone. He took yeah. out um, Albon at uh, Spa. I want to say it was. No, that was in uh, Austria. That's the Red Bull ring. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay, so. You know, it's just, again, it kind of goes back to the, you know, F1 not really being that consistent. I'm sorry, the FIA, excuse me. Yeah, and, and he also, Lewis also took out Alex Albon uh, from P2 um, a couple of years ago at Brazil when Albon was on for his first podium. It's just Bush League, you know, and I just, there's just, I don't know. I mean, I love watching races, don't get me wrong, and, and, and I love, I love the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix because, dude, when I drove by, Gas Island when I was over there. 
Mm -hmm. It was just incredible. But I don't know, man. I, I mean, I guess I'm going to have to see how it's covered on Netflix just because there's just not a lot that's really stuck out to me. Well, I shouldn't say that. There were some really great moments of the, of the season. But just by and large, I mean, the end of the season just kind of has just seemed stale to me. And, um, you know, with Lewis not winning as much, which don't get me wrong, I'm okay with that because I that guy drives me crazy. But I, I don't know. I, I just had a hard time kind of, you know, just – following along with it yeah right. I mean, anyways so at, at the end of the day you've got george russell that starts p1 after the sprint race and then he goes on to win the race and you have you know yeah. lewis hamilton who starts p3 in the sprint or after the sprint yeah. he he goes on to finish you know p2 in the race and mercedes has their first race win of the season which is good to see it's good to see you know um another team get up there and get a race win in in you know what's essentially a very non-competitive season when you look at it top to bottom but yeah, I mean, the race itself, like, yeah, I get your point where you're saying it was stale, it was kind of boring, but it still produced a lot of big moments. And the second big moment involving Max was his, you know, little tiff with his own teammate, uh, Sergio Perez. And just to set the stage, Max wrapped up the world championship, um, the world drivers championship back in Japan, which was back in October. Um, I believe it was Did he? over. Because there was a little ago. inconsistency, you know. <laughs> well, yeah, that's another thing. But um, but yes, Max is a world champion. It's been that way for many weeks. Um, Red Bull locked up the Constructors' Championship, uh, I believe, later on in October um, at Circuit of the Americas in Austin. I think that was when they clinched. Um, but either way, the Constructors' Championship wrapped up for a couple of races at least. The Drivers' Championship wrapped up for, you know, for longer than that. And Max is running around in uh, in P5, um, and Checo, Sergio Perez, is his teammate, is, is right behind him. And it got that way because Max asked to be let past Perez earlier in the race to go and attack Fernando Alonso and see if he could get, um, you know, an additional place. Um, and that, at that point, you know, could have actually helped Perez out, who's still fighting for second place in the uh, in the World Drivers Championship, so I mean he's not fighting with Fernando for that, but you know if if Max gets past Fernando, maybe he can get up there and get past you know Carlos and Lewis and Charles, and that was kind of you know the thinking is take as many points off of these other guys, and that's what you do. Well, with you know two or three laps to go, it's pretty clear that Max isn't going to get past Fernando Alonso, and Red Bull starts to ask him, okay, you know, eventually they say you have one more chance and it's going to be into turn 12 and 13. And if you don't get past, then please give the spot back to, to Checo, to Sergio Perez. Um, if anyone doesn't know, Checo is Sergio Perez's nickname. So that's how they communicate on the radio. They call him Checo. So that's what's going on. And sure enough, we get to, you know, turn 12 and 13 and, Fernando Alonso is still, you know, several car lengths ahead of Max. Max can't make the move, and they're driving around for the rest of the lap. Uh, Checo's about two seconds behind Max at this point for, their, you know, um, on that final lap. And there were three calls on the radio, I believe. And the first one was, okay, Max, you know, let Checo through. And that was with maybe three or four corners to go. 
Then um, as Max is coming into the final two corners, um, the call comes on again and it's Max, let's check go through, please. And then right as Max is coming to the finish line on the final lap uh, to take the checkered flag, a third call comes in and says, Max, let's check go through. And the urgency in those calls ramps up each time. And they had already told Checo on the radio. They said, hey, Max is going to let you through. He will let you through at turn 17, um, I believe, was even how specific they got with it. So they, they cross the line. Verstappen doesn't let Checo through. And Checo's on the radio like, what was that? What He said, what happened? And they said, oh, you know, we're not sure. We're, we'll debrief. And then Checo said, shows you who he really is. Well, I can't wait to see how they cover that on Netflix. I'm excited. <laughs> Oh, I'm sure that, you know, they'll make it out like, you know, there was a gunfight or something. But, um, yeah, interesting drama at Red Bull um, with the drivers, drama at Ferrari with the team principal situation. We headed into Abu Dhabi this weekend with the World Championship already signed, sealed, and delivered. But definitely still some storylines. So we'll see what happens on track, um, particularly with uh, with Max Verstappen and, uh, and Checo Perez. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, well, you know, definitely want to move on. Um, that was a long segment, but, you know, the way that we kind of drew this one up was we knew that that one was going to be long. Um, so, you know, want to cover college football that happened this past season that we'll get into some NFL stuff as well, and I think that'll be our show for this week. Um, luckily, we do have a quick turnaround, though. You'll be down here. I wanted to run this past you earlier, but um, we could probably do a live recording, uh, you know, while you're here. Um, yeah, I mean, like Monday night or something like that, you're sticking around. So we could plan on that for next week and, and, you know, really good do a deeper dive on some of these things. But, um, yeah, you know, moving forward, definitely want to touch on, on college football. I was a piss poor college football fan, uh, last Saturday. Normally I would be up, you know, shortly after 6 a.m., 6 30 a.m., I'd come out here, I'd fire up uh, Big Noon Saturday on one TV, I'd have game day rocking on the other TV, and I'd start my day, and um, especially a day like last week with my Ohio State Buckeyes kicking off at uh, 9 a.m. here on the West Coast, that would have been my morning. I got word you Thursday. It. You blew it, dude. You I totally blew it. blew it. I totally blew it because I got word Thursday that uh, the local ski hill out here, Snow Summit, was opening about a month early. Oh, yeah, sure. Blame it on the skiing, dude. Blame it on the skiing. I right? will always blame it on the skiing. So I threw my shit in the car, and I left it uh, about 6.30 in the morning, got up there on the hill. Um, so I didn't Teaching watch. college football to go enjoy a day yeah. in nature. What is wrong with you? <laughs> but – don't worry. What is the matter with you? You're supposed to have priorities, okay? It's I'll tell you what. football Saturday. I'm a professional, so I still came home and I got all cut well, up. Well, that's debatable. That's debatable. I watched I watched a few different games in its entirety. I watched highlights. I dug deep into stats. So we are fully prepared for this segment. But unfortunately, we have to start off with some very sad and very troubling news. Yeah. Um, I, I don't want to gloss UBA, over it. Man. I certainly want to mention it. Yeah, the... The shooting at the University the of Virginia, team. that was shocking. Um, I mean, it happened yeah. very late uh, in the evening on the East Coast. Um, and, you know, even even here on the West Coast, yeah. it was kind of get I, – I saw an update come in on my phone that that there was a shooting, but there was no details. Um, and then, of course, well, that's you know – changed. Yeah, the following morning it comes out that it was uh, a former walk-on, a running back who only played um, – you know, one semester's worth of football. He was only on the team for one semester as a walk-on uh, back in 2018. 
but the football team was coming back from some sort of team function. Um, they were all on, on a bus, and it sounds like this guy just walked onto the bus and opened fire. And um, that's crazy. You know, took the lives of uh, of three UVA football players um, and injured, uh, you know, a handful more. Um, I just, I mean, how do you bounce back from that, man? That, that's just going to be rough. I mean, you know, part of me wants to watch the UVA game and just pull for them and just, you know, uh, said nothing but good thoughts and prayers and vibe and, you know, um, just really, really hope that they get a a positive outcome to help them heal, you know, because that's going to take a while. I, I, however you bounce back from that, that's going to take a while to really heal, you know. Yeah, exactly. And it was um, it was Devin Chandler, Lavelle Davis Jr., and Deshaun Perry uh, were the players that were tragically killed um, in that shooting. And UVA has yeah. since canceled their game for this weekend against Coastal Carolina. As um, they should. As yeah, they that should. was absolutely the right move. They still yes. have a big rivalry game coming up next week against Virginia Tech. So, yeah. is that, do you know, is that is that at Tech or is that at the Cavaliers? That is at Tech. Okay. Well, yeah. if Virginia Tech has any class, I would hope that they would, you know, embrace Virginia oh, in yeah, this for sure. really difficult time. I mean, but you know how college football rivalries can get. I mean, sometimes it just takes one dumbass in a group of people to say something stupid, you know. So yeah, I'm hopeful but, that that doesn't happen this time around. I mean, rivalry is a rivalry. I get it. You and I both know that better than anybody else. But yeah, I you mean, know, personally, you know, I I think that it's a good and, and like let's be honest, UVA they're not bowl eligible this year. They're not you know really they're not competing for a conference championship. They have every reason in the world to just shut it down and and and, and move on. But you know, but I don't think they're going to. I mean, that's that's yeah. yeah that's I mean, I. A big part of me, you know, really wants to see them take that field um, and end the season on, you know, a positive note of just getting back out there on the field and starting to put this behind them. But it's yeah. it's going to stick with these players, you know. Um, well, how do you get over lives. that? You don't. Yeah, you no, don't get never. over it. You just find a way to live with what happened, right? Yeah, and it's it's tragic, and you know, um, yeah, just really, really can't believe it. it was was very sad to see that news. Um, and really know that, you know, those sorts of things can happen yeah. at the highest level of, you know, what, what is, you know, still a student sport. I am going to make it a point to watch that game because um, I forget who it was. Uh, do you remember back in the day, Tom Jackson and Chris Berman would, would cover football, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, so he, Tom Jackson had this line about football and, and, and having football, especially, how it heals you from a tragedy. Um, you know, when you're in between the white lines, that's kind of like a sanctuary for a lot of players, right? And um, I'm, I'm, I think I'm going to make it a point to watch that game and really pull for Virginia. Oh, absolutely. Because, I mean, if it, if it happens, the entire country is going to be locked into that one. You have to. Yeah. I mean, it's like, yeah, you know, you have to. Like, if you have a heart, you have to pull for Virginia and want them to do well to finish up the season. And I mean, the other side of it, though, too, is like, is it fair to put Virginia Tech in that situation? Well, but Virginia Tech didn't ask for anything to happen. To I mean, right. <laughs> excuse me, they didn't ask for that situation. I mean, they they didn't ask for you know any of these circumstances to be heaped on them and have the game have yeah certainly this yeah emotion you know right so there's not the, I mean th that's not on them 
uh, you, you can't you can't put that on them. Virginia, oh, yeah, that's that's fair. Yeah, right. Virginia Tech is gonna, and the I think the only people that are gonna root for Virginia Tech are the people that are at Virginia Tech. To be honest with you, um, yeah, and but, I mean it's you know what that's fine. It, it, it would just be good to see that game happen, I think. But if it doesn't happen, certainly nothing against, you know, Virginia, if that's the route that they want right. to take. Totally understandable. Or, yeah. And it's not, you know, it's not a, a decision that, that is going to be taken lightly. But, you know, you're not just talking about the athletes on the field. Um, you're, you're talking about, Students. you know, yeah, the entire student body. And most importantly, yep. you're talking about the families of all those players. And it might just be at yep. a point where, the families of those players say no. You know we're we're not going to go play, you know, one more football game. We want to get you home for the holidays and and you know for the end of the semester here. So well, and let me tell you something right now, dude. I I, I mean, I caught a little bit of the press conference, okay, mm-hmm. of the Virginia head coach. Okay, his name escapes me at the moment, but um, I was watching the game of the sport that shall not be named, and <laughs> it was at the half. And they, you know how sometimes they'll go through like various sport highlights, right? Mm-hmm. How that man kept his composure in that press conference, I will never know. Yeah, I, I watched it as well. Um, Tony Elliott is the uh, head coach at the University of... Thank you. Of Thank you, Tony Elliott. I couldn't remember his name. Virginia, but he, he handled that with such poise and... To be yeah. in, in a position where you're you're trusted with you know upwards of eighty scholarship athletes, um, yep. you're you're really trusted with their livelihood uh, over the course of the entire ac- academic year. Well, because they school. become like sons to you. Yeah, you're you're traveling. You know every single player. You know very intimately, um, and you're really managing. You know the the biggest aspects of their daily lives, from their their health yeah. and their nutrition and their academics. And their social interactions, um, you're responsible for all of them. So to have something like this happen on on his watch, I mean, not that he could have done anything differently at all, um, right? It's just the weight that he has to be feeling. I I can't even begin to imagine, but the composure I, I mean, and the leadership yeah. that that he showed right off the bat is, you know, really what the rest of the team needs. Well, not only that, but I think he's in a unique position to show a sort of leadership to help guide, not just the team through it, but you know that that student fan base is going to be hurting too. And I think they're going to be looking to him uh, for that sort of uh, leadership example of, of helping to, you know, get them through it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's, it's also every other player in the country. Um, I think I saw something, I'm I'm not sure I might have this wrong. I'm not sure if it was only the ACC teams that are going to wear a helmet decal. Uh but I believe be I believe it was going to be every team in the country is going to be wearing oh, a, that's good. a helmet decal on Saturday um for them. So it's certainly going to be at the forefront of of everyone's minds, you know. That's good. Like it is for us, but um yeah, I wanted to bring that up, you know, right off the bat. Good. Um I want to counter that with some really good news that I was happy to see. I'm not sure if you saw this, but this was one of the coolest moments in Ohio State football that I can recall. Um, so I didn't, I didn't catch any of the Ohio State game, unfortunately. So um, it was a blowout. It was always going to be a blowout. Because <laughs> well, what did you have? Indiana, right? Oh, it's like they course. didn't even show so, up. It's like they didn't even show up. It's like who the hell? It's like are we even play? you guys play Youngstown State. I'm, like, <laughs> I'm not going to watch that game. Yeah. Hey. 
Indiana card carrying member of the Big Ten. Okay. Where come really, on, so give, you guys him, have give cards. him a little, give him a little. Yeah, of course we have cards. It's really cool. It's, it's really, like, it's yeah. Do you have it, a card? I do. It's laminated. Um, how come I didn't? How come I've never seen it? Because you're you're an SEC guy. I don't just go pulling out my card for anybody. Come on. Hey, but <laughs> that's another that's another podcast entirely. All right. Yeah, that's a that's a different website. Leave entirely. the euphemisms off our off our podcast. <laughs> yeah. No, fifty uh, percent off for new subscribers on my OnlyFans. By the way, through, through oh for Sunday. God's sakes, you had to go there, <laughs> dirty, 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 filthy animal. No, but I mean, hurry up so we can crap on the Pac twelve. We're we're fine. We're fine. Okay, we're fine. Um, but yeah, so that game late in the game, it's a blowout. I forget what the score was even at the time, but Ohio State was up by a million, and Ryan Day called a play. For CJ well, Stroud. First of all, okay, hold on, hold on. Before we get it, I know I, what I you're going to ask. I know what you're going to ask. Yeah, ask, ask the question. You have to let the people know. Yep, I'm prepared. Ask the question. Ahead. No, you have to ask the question. How was the hashtag meat sweat? The Ryan Day hashtag meat sweat was. I was nonplussed by his meat sweat that that he brought into the shoe on Saturday, but it was I, snowing. Dude, this is getting to be a habit. It is, but here's my theory on the meat sweat. I'll touch on it really quick. It was snowing in the shoe. It was blowing a little bit. It was cold, and it was Indiana. He He's not going to waste a good meat sweat on Indiana. He's going to save it for next weekend. We, we have Maryland this upcoming weekend. We got Maryland on Saturday. The following Saturday, we got that team up north. So Ryan Day, he's stocking his meat locker right now. He's figuring out the recipes. He's getting the sauces going. He's going to have a fantastic meat sweat going in the shoe when we take on number three, Michigan. That's my theory. He's not going to waste it on on Indiana or Maryland or none none of that bullshit. Do you think he went vegan? Do you think he went vegan this time around? No, no, no way. Mm -mm. No? Okay. No, no. I I have no doubt about the hashtag meat sweat come, you know, the game when it matters. I bet you Jim Harbaugh went vegan last weekend. Yeah, whatever. I don't want to talk about that yeah. guy. So tell us about Cameron Babb, dude. So Ryan Day calls a play. CJ Stroud rolls out to his right, throws back across his body. It's in the red zone. He's throwing it from maybe the seven or eight yard line, I want to say. And he hits Cameron Babb and touchdown. You know, Cameron Babb was a five star recruit um, five years ago, uh, was, was when. Uh, well, he's he's been in Ohio State's program for five years. So really six years ago, he's a five-star recruit, can't miss wide receiver. And he mm-hmm. he was going to be, you know, up there with the Chris Olaves and the Garrett Wilsons and, you know, the Marvin Harrison Juniors and the Jackson Smith and Jigbas. He was going to be in that mix, and he was a better recruit than Olave. Um, Garrett Wilson was the Boy, number one for, a, for his class. Damn good. Yeah, but – I mean, Cameron Babb, like this was a can't-miss wide receiver. This dude had, I believe it was like three, it was at least three, three, call it three-plus surgeries on his knee. His his knee. Okay, I was his, just going to ask you Yeah, his, his first year, his freshman year, his, his knee just got completely destroyed. So he's got, you know, a medical redshirt year. He's got a COVID year on top of that. This is his fifth year in the program, and he's never really Damn. been able to work back to a point where, you know, he could perform at the level that he was capable of. 
But well, yeah, because the knee is always tricky. Dude. That's the oh, worst for sure. injury that you can that you could uh, sustain as a football player. And of course, I mean, it's not just like okay, you know, you're healthy now. Go out there and be our number two wide receiver. I mean, he's he's right. behind, you know, some studs, some first round studs, and that's just the the nature of the game. But he catches this touchdown, and it, it was it was one of the coolest moments. Like I said, he comes down with it, and he immediately goes down to his knees, and he puts his head on the turf. And he just breaks down, and he's just taking it all in. The entire team comes up and surrounds him. They lift oh, him up. I, see, on I their, didn't see any of that, dude. Yeah, that, that's pretty cool. They lift him up on their shoulders. Um, Rudy style. Yeah, he gets back to the bench, and uh, every single member of the offense and the defense, every single coach, every single trainer came up to him. It went on for yeah. ten minutes, like literally ten Bad. minutes. There were still people coming up to him on the sideline. Um, and his family was sitting right there behind the uh, Buckeye bench as well. So um, he got to give his, his family a big hug. So that was just well, really cool well to better see. kept that ball. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely sure. Um, yeah. But that was really cool to see. And that was really cool for Ryan Day to dial up that play in a blowout and give him that moment. Um, that was just really neat. So, you know, for sure I wanted to touch on that with something good that I saw happen. Um, well, let me ask you this, dude. When the hell are you mm-hmm. going to take me to a game in Columbus? You know how much I want to go to a game at the shoe. Yeah, we have to get that sorted out for sure. We do. We have to get that sorted out. And I have to take you to Auburn for mm-hmm. a football game, too. Mm-hmm. I, ideally, I'm going to take you to Auburn for the Iron Bowl. It, it's going to change your life, dude. Well, dude, hey, I mean, speaking of Auburn, you know, we can jump right into that. Auburn, big win over Texas A&M. Huge win over Texas A&M. Um, you know, I, as you know, uh, because you've seen how my hairline has progressively reduced over the course of this football season, uh, <laughs> Brian Harson was fired after the Arkansas game and deservedly so because um, that man was just an awful fit from the very beginning. And it was the dumpster fire of a hire, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so Brian Harson was fired after Arkansas and you have what I have never before seen as blatantly as I saw it, you had an entire football team quit on the man Mm -hmm. quit straight up quit. Okay. You can see it in their body language. You can see it in the, in the just garbage dump of a product that you would that you, we were seeing, right? Mm -hmm. There was no energy. There was no fight. There was no passion. They were soft. That is the worst thing that you can call a football player is soft. And you had an entire team, who was exactly that. Okay. Mm-hmm. So fast forward. Um, finally, Brian Harson was fired and who do they get as the interim head coach? But my man, Carnell Cadillac Williams, dude, I don't know if you know this, but I was actually at Auburn as a student for one year, the exact same time he was. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. So Cadillac, I have so much love in my heart for that guy. And you know, I'm going into this game thinking to myself as an Auburn alum, it could not possibly get any worse. Mm-hmm. Right. We have no, I mean, I, I, I coming off of the overtime loss against Mississippi state, I saw in that game, a team who rallied around their interim head coach, a guy who lives, breathes and sleeps and eats and drinks Auburn. Right. Mm-hmm. And the energy that he had on the sidelines is something that we'd been lacking for years because we didn't have that with Gus. Gus Malzahn is, and don't get me wrong, Gus is a great guy, nice guy, 
but he didn't have the energy and the passion and the fire that 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 coach Cadillac does, right? Mm-hmm. Because you see him jumping around like a maniac. Okay. Gus, I mean, he's a, an incredible coach, and I know he's gonna do great things for UCF, but he has this G golly gosh attitude that drives me crazy. Yeah, okay. it's it's funny that you mentioned that because it seems like players respond more to the the really energetic in your face coaches now. Yes, they do because they they respond well, and that so yes, they definitely respond to that. But they needed to have, and so Auburn's got this this history of okay, we need an Auburn man to to be our head coach. Well, okay, was Nick Saban uh, an Alabama man before he went there? No. He was not. Was Ryan Day an Ohio State guy before he was there? No. No. Okay. You become an Auburn. You become an Auburn man. You become an Ohio State man by creating a legacy there. So that argument's, you know, moot, right? Yeah. Just, um, just fucking win. If you show up and you fucking, fucking win, win dude. Just then win the you got to win the yeah. freaking game right in front of you, right? You can you can become a Toledo Mudhens men real fucking quick if you just win. God, just win the damn game right in front of you. So I'm thinking to myself, okay, if there was ever a game that we were going to snap our losing streak again, it was going to be against, it was going to be A&M and Jimbo Fisher, okay? Mm -hmm. Let me just tell you something, dude. I don't oftentimes, you know, my emotions sometimes get the better of me during sporting events. Poor Lamp probably is still traumatized by all the screaming and yelling I did when the Dodgers and the Braves are playing each other in the NLCS. Yep. Lamp, um, lamp was, the dog. Lamp the dog is is yeah. used to college football Saturdays. Well, I had a temper tantrum to no end that day. But anyways, I digress. So, uh, yeah, huge win for the Auburn football team over over AM. And I think that what happened as a result of that brought around – a debate that I never thought you and I would ever going to happen. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I never thought that I would be the first one to come out to you and say, okay, listen, is Carnell Cadillac Williams a serious candidate? Should he be a serious candidate to be the next fo- head football coach? Well, right. Dude, like put it this way. Let's, let's just talk about this matchup that you had Saturday, Texas A&M season. Obviously it's in the shitter. It didn't go the way that anybody thought, or you know, certainly right. AM hoped it would go. Um, yeah, we're going to debate the head coaching thing later, but I'm just well, saying on that's one, where it's leading to. On one sideline, you've got Jimbo Fisher with his nine and a half million dollar contract and his what eighty plus million dollar buyout. If they were to fire, he's got him. seventy. No, 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 no. I'm pretty sure he. I think it's a seventy-five million dollar buyout. But dude, that's that Texas oil. Yeah, well, yeah. Plus that's his nothing. plus his salary. Yeah, so it's over eighty. You know, if you add everything up, right? But on the other side, you've got Cadillac Williams, who is, you know, fairly new to the coaching game, certainly compared to Jimbo Fisher, and very green and very new to the head coaching game. I mean, he hasn't even been a coordinator anywhere. Right. Yet, you have a guy right? who has no coaching experience as a coordinator. Yeah. So he goes out and he knocks off Texas AM and Jimbo Fisher. And I mean, that's that's saying something. That's that's a hell of a job interview, you know, right there. So that's, I, I mean, I, when you're three and six, like we were, obviously we're now four and six. I wouldn't necessarily say that's usually not going to be a marquee win, but I think for Cadillac, it is 
absolutely a marquee win mm-hmm. because like you said, you're talking about a guy who has no offensive coordinator experience. He literally goes from the running backs coach to the interim head coach tag, mm-hmm. which side note, brilliant move. Okay. Mm-hmm. Brilliant move. Uh, because you needed some guy to help lit- you needed somebody who had the energy and passion to lift up the team. There was literally nobody else. Right. Okay? Nobody else. Because they they cleaned house, which they should have. Yeah. Um but just to kind of wrap it up, I mean, you know, the one thing that I thought was really poignant about Auburn's win over AM is that the way the student section was just going out of their minds with um, excitement and just 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 going crazy with how uh, how you know much fun they were having, you mm-hmm. wouldn't be able to tell that that was a four and six football team and their four and six fan base. That that the way the fan base was just going crazy, you would think that we were playing for the SEC championship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right, absolutely, and. That's that's what Cadillac has done for this team. And again, I know we're going to talk about the, the the circumstances about him a little bit later. But to have him be just one and one, and to have him automatically because I mean after two games you could pretty much say it's automatic. Mm-hmm. To have him automatically turn things around, and it's the literal definition of a one eighty dude. Mm-hmm. You had Brian Harson who was leading this team into the ground. And then you have a guy in two games with no coordinator experience just turn it right around and resuscitate it. It's desperately needed. It's it's interesting. Do you think at this point he is emerging as a real candidate for the head? I'm gonna say I'm gonna say I'm gonna say there's because you know I have a top three. Right, I think we right. hinted at that last week. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, in no particular yeah, order. No, no, you've you've got what you've got. John Gruden, you've got Urban Meyer, and right. uh, in, and Steve Mariucci. I think you said was yeah, your, your, your exactly, top three exactly. Yeah. And uh, yeah, Steve. Yeah, exactly. Um, and Jim Harbaugh. So <laughs> yeah. um, no, no. Uh, so in no particular order, um, Hugh Freeze. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Lane Kiffin mm-hmm. and Deion Sanders are the ones that are that are being mentioned the most, right? Just in terms of hype, right? Hype and rumor. So if I have those guys as my top three, I'm going to say that Cadillac is going to be number four. Okay. Um, my worry, I have a few worries about this, right? If you bring in a guy like Lane Kiffin, I guarantee you, Lane Kiffin won't keep him. Exactly. Like. The, and that would and that's, Kiffin's going to want gonna his, his own guys, right? Well, but here's the thing: if Lane is a smart guy, and I think he is, he's going <laughs> to have a, an that's eye. That's a reach, but carry on. Well, fair enough. <laughs> he's going to have an eye on what Cadillac accomplished, mm-hmm. wrapping up the season, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And mm-hmm. if he wants to endear himself to the Auburn faithful coming over from Ole Miss, you would be an idiot not to hold on to a guy like Cadillac, especially seeing what he's accomplished. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's the one thing that worries me about Lane Kiffin is he's kind of a maverick wild card. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. If you have a guy like Hugh freeze, I could absolutely see Hugh freeze making him the uh, offensive coordinator. 
I could too. And they're going to have more leverage, I think, with with Hugh Freeze because of the recruiting yes. scandal and because of the hookers and the cell phone and all that shit. Well, yeah. I, I, they're going to have more leverage where if they go to Hugh Freeze and say, okay, if you want to get back in the SEC at this level, you know, at the Power Five level with a hell of a program like Auburn, yep. then we're going to kind of dictate to you, you know, some coaches that are currently on the staff that we want you to keep whether it's for you know strategic purposes or recruiting right. purposes or morale purposes and i think cadillac williams checks all three of those cadillac boxes. williams checks not only does he check all the boxes he's at the top of the list mm-hmm. yeah gotta so, see how gotta see how schmetting does the last two games is Sh- who is schmetting defensive coordinator fill, us in. fill everybody outside of jordan so jeff schmetting jeff schmetting is the sole remaining Brian Harson higher. Ooh, that's because everybody else. Everybody <laughs> else. But here's the so thing. so he's he's still calling the offense then. No, no, no. Jeff Schmetting is the defensive coordinator. Defensive. Okay, so so he's so right. he's calling the the defense, and then is Cadillac Williams calling the offense? Cadillac. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. They have okay. kind of a skeleton crew as, as a coaching staff right now. So right. Yeah. I don't really know who's calling the plays. If I'm being honest. Okay. Um. But. You but, know, uh, yeah, I mean, maybe somebody calls the the running game and somebody else calls well, the passing game or something. But honestly, I mean, I, I would have probably. to like what I'm getting at is Cadillac Williams is is in touch. You know, yes. If he's not calling yes. every single play, he would understand what it takes to be an OC. You know, if that's his well, next, next move. Absolutely, it's his next move. But if I'm looking at a guy like Schmetting, okay, mm-hmm. as the defensive coordinator. Schmetting. The mo- I don't like it's that great name. name. It just bothers me, but go on. Well, well, the name Reshki bothers me, but you don't hear me complaining. Noonan, whatever. Carry yeah, on. there you go. Fair enough. Well played. So, Schmetting um, is a great... So Okay, so Brian Harson goes out the door, right? Mm-hmm. And it seems almost instantaneously the defense starts picking it up. The defense, so especially against Mississippi State, Okay. Mm-hmm. Actually, no. Against A and M, Mississippi State is when the offense really kicked into gear. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mississippi State. I'm sorry. I, I did it again. Damn. A um, and M. That is the most fight I have seen on the defensive side of the ball, and I can't even tell you how long. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mississippi State with the offense again, the fight that those guys have. If I'm a guy like Schmetting, whatever you did to light a fire under the asses of the defense, do it again and again and again, right? Because here's the thing. You have Western Kentucky as your tune-up game before the Iron Bowl. Right. Uh, Never mind the fact that Auburn's only a a five-and-a-half-point favorite against Western Kentucky. I have no idea what that's about. Okay. Hmm. But there is exactly zero people who think we have a shot against Alabama in the Iron Bowl. Mm-hmm. Okay. Zero. And I know you're one of them. So, you know, you literally have nothing to lose. If you take care of business at home against Western Kentucky, okay, and you go into Tuscaloosa knowing that you have nothing to lose, okay, are you playing for bowl eligibility? Sure you are. Maybe that's your motivation. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. It's, a, it's huge motivation. Okay, but you went in there and you say, "Listen, this has been one hell of a year. Mm-hmm. We are going to give it everything for Coach Cadillac, for our family, and we are going to do everything in our power to say, okay, look, 
nobody thinks we can do it. Let's mm -hmm. go shock the world. Because as you know me well enough by now, um, anything that gives Nick Saban agony, it makes me happy. <laughs> so if there's Shot anything in we can do, what's that? Shot in Freda. Taking oh, yeah. joy in I, somebody else's pain or whatever it is. Absolutely. Anything that <laughs> anything that makes Nick Saban miserable makes my life happy. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm hopeful that I just you know what I want them to play hard, and I and I don't I don't want them to be a pushover. I want them to play hard, and you know, Alabama could have easily lost. They've lost twice this year, right? Yes. They could yeah. Have easily lost. They could. There. There. There's four games they could have lost. Sure. Oh yeah, I, at least. I mean, even even Ole Miss last week was was close. You know, and I everybody makes fun of me when I say this, but I think Alabama is vulnerable this year. Well, of course they are. They're a two loss team. I mean, that's right. that's what they are. You know, lost so, to lost to LSU, lost to Tennessee. That's it. That's that's really right. their playoff chances. You know, pretty much over. Um, right. I mean, there's still a path, of course, but they're going to need a hell of a lot of help. So, you know, I think that if you go in there and if, if Robbie Ashford says, okay, I have to put the offense on my back, I have to get on the same page with my receivers. I think Tank Bigsby says, I have to take care of the football. And the defense says, we cannot let the running backs gash us. The run defense has to be on point. The secondary has to be on point. Just go in there and give them hell. You got nothing to lose okay and everything to gain it's possible i mean it's you know it would be even more of a season ruiner for alabama but you know Which, as, again as we saw, just, my life yeah as as we as we've seen in the iron bowl time and time again anything can happen i mean you know it was i was at the four overtime game yeah four overtimes ago. two years ago and you know in a season that everybody had written auburn off in Right. And all of a so, sudden, you know, in the Iron Bowl, they're, they're right there. And four overtimes later, they almost, you know, win the thing. Oh, but, God, you know, I, you're, I still haven't gotten over that game. I don't think I ever will. You're, you're, you're looking at Alabama sitting here at number eight. And, you know, I want to run yeah, let's down look at the top 10, dude. Yeah. You know, and I mean, there's, there's a lot of other interesting teams, but big shakeup, biggest shakeup of the week was Oregon um, taking their second L of the season and dropping six places. Um, all the way down to to number twelve, and that was really so. That that was probably I'm going to say probably because USC is still up there, but that was probably uh, the Pac-12's best shot at this year's college football playoff was Oregon. USC so wait, moves is this up the a point spot. In the show where we is this the point in the show where we crap all over the uh, the Pac-12? That's the whole show. That's ah, the whole enough. show. Okay, start to finish. Fair enough. Continue. Pre-game, post-game, you know. When I'm sitting here and I'm editing the show and I'm putting everything together post production, when I'm sleeping and I'm making all my clicks, I'm I'm still in my head. I'm shitting on the Pac-12. Oh, that's what's well, going on. You know, you're a college football fan. That's what we do. <laughs> but I mean, okay, so like, let's just Start look at pretender. Okay, all right. I'm looking ten, at the college ten football. Ten and they go yeah, up. All right, see. Utah. I'm sitting here and I'm I'm shitting all over you know the Pac-12 and we're going to start off with uh with with Utah, U Utah eight and two you know great season coming off a a good Rose Bowl you know appearance, um to to finish off last season they almost put away the Buckeyes which would have been you know yeah, crazy that your, was a crazy uh, game. As long as your liver and your heart rate re yeah. recovered from that. 
They move up uh, three spots into the top 10. They're sitting there at number 10. Clemson at nine and one. We talked about this last week. You know, is Clemson sitting there at nine, at nine and one, a better team than USC sitting there at seven, at nine and one? I think so. I think so, I think Clemson is a better team than USC. I'm surprised to see USC up there at number seven. Sandwich well, right there in the, the middle you gotta look. is Alabama, like we talked about at eight and two. But you right. know, let's let's look at those two nine and one teams here for a sec. But you got to look at the strength of schedule. Okay, right. so look, you take Clemson, you take Clemson. Actually, let me take USC. You take Clemson. Okay. Okay. So I'm starting off with USC. Okay, mm-hmm. this is the rundown of their last their their schedule. Okay. So you have the cupcakes, they have the rice, the Fresno States, um, you know, those other games, okay? Then you have the conference games, okay? They just barely beat Oregon State, which, by the way, dude, gone are the days when we could make fun of Oregon State. They're not a pushover anymore. They're actually pretty damn good. Yeah. No, okay? I mean, I I agree, yeah. So, you know, they just barely lost, literally lost 43-42 to Utah, mm-hmm. okay? So... I think what you're seeing here is the Lincoln Riley effect. The Lincoln mm-hmm. Riley effect with his offense in a in a conference that doesn't really have any powerhouse teams aside from, from uh, Oregon. I mean, Oregon you, and Washington. UCLA was in the top ten, you know, for up, up until you know very recently. But well, I mean, yeah, there's me there's no UCLA, powerhouse UCLA. where where you're going to say like, oh, you know, the Pac-12 goes through, like, they don't have that, you know. The UCLA should not be used. The SEC goes through Georgia, and the Big Ten goes through Ohio State, and the Pac-12 goes through, I mean, for a while you would have said Oregon. For a while you you could have said UCLA. For, you know, now you're going to say USC, and it's like, okay, but yeah, there's like, there's there's not that one team where it's like oh you know this team is really one that 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 cannot be defeated. They don't well, have. Well, you and I talked about. It. Well, here's the thing that you and I have talked about before. So last week we talked about Clemson, right? Mm-hmm. Clemson's strength of schedule this year is not that great, dude. It's better. I'm looking at it right now. They have three wins over ranked teams. Right, but I'm talking about the strength of the opponents because there's a few well, teams I'm, that I'm I saw. At, I'm looking at USC and and USC. They're the the only ranked team that they've played at this point in the season is is number twenty. Utah was ranked twenty when they played them. They're ranked ten now, and that was a loss. You go over to Clemson. Clemson big win against Furman week two. You know, let me tell you. But okay, Attack week three. That's a joke. But um, they Boston College Wake Florida Forest State, was wait no well, Wake Forest was ranked number twenty one. They win that game. Um, and that was on the road at Wake Forest. That's important. Uh, NC State at home. NC State was number ten, top ten team, and they they beat them by by ten points at the time. Um, at Boston College, blowout. At Florida State, close game, but a W. Uh, Syracuse, I think, was a game that really hamstringed them because they were losing that game through four quarters, and they came or through three quarters, and they came back in the fourth quarter after pulling uh, DJ Ugalele, like we talked about, and they go on to win. And the Notre Dame loss, Notre Dame um, was ranked in the AP poll, uh, I think number like eighteen after that win against Clemson. Um, not ranked, you know. Right now, had a very close contest, barely uh, squeaked by Navy last week. Um, 
So that loss to Notre Dame carries obviously a lot of weight. Not only is it their only loss, but I think nationally the jury is still out on Notre Dame and, and actually, you know, how strong of a program that is because they've got some big wins this season, but they also have some just glaring losses as well. But looking at this, you've got three teams in there that were ranked at the time when they played um, Clemson. And because of that, I would easily have Clemson ahead of USC. Personally, I think that this is the committee trying to find a path for a Pac-12 team to get in to the top four. Never um, going to happen. And and I I really don't see it happening. I mean, you know, is a one-loss It's one never going to happen. Is, is a one-loss USC team better than a two-loss Tennessee team? You know, when when at least one of those losses is against Georgia? Like, well, no. <laughs> so, uh, But you have to look at – so you got to look at Tennessee's overall resume, right? They knocked off Alabama. Mm -hmm. They've got more impressive wins. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I, I think the likelihood that a Pac-12 team even sniffs the college football playoffs is never going to happen. And not, I think not, that, not this year. That, I don't think it no, happens this, this year. year. And I'm 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 taking the Paul Feinbaum attitude with something like that, dude. Mm -hmm. I think the Pac-12 is DOA. I think that that conference is about to go extinct because USC and UCLA are headed to the Big Ten, and was it 2025? Uh, it, it it could be sooner. It could okay. be yeah, twenty twenty five so at the latest. I don't buy for is, a is second. Kind of what we're hearing. So I don't buy for a second that someone is going to go out there, isn't is not going to go out there and try and poach Washington and Oregon. Okay, if I'm the Big Twelve, I say, oh, all right, you know, let me go get that Phil Knight money in in Oregon, and associate that with the Big Twelve. And mm -hmm. let me go get Washington, who is no no slouch. Okay, they have apples um, up there or something. I'm sure. Well, yeah, that the apple cup. Good lord, don't get me started on that. <laughs> but you know, I I think that the Pac-12, the days of the Pac-12's existence are numbered. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens because it's clear that Fox and ESPN do not want to pay very much money, relatively speaking. Um, you know, I think the Would final you? offer. I no, I mean all those all those TV slots are, are are filled. They're filled. Yeah, billion dollar deals with the SEC and with the Big Ten. Well, and here's the thing: this is what you have to look at too. There's a Big Ten network, right? Mm -hmm. There's an SEC network, right? Mm -hmm. Do you have to subscribe to the Big Ten network? No, you just get it. You have to subscribe to the SEC network. Nope, you just get it with. You, you know, it's part of the ESPN package. You want to know it's not part of the ESPN package? Mm -hmm. The Pac-12 right. network. Exactly, and I think, okay. I think that it that it still is ESPN that operates that network, but but you have to pay to get it. Yeah, you, you have, have to, you have to you pay have, to get it because that's the only way the that they're going to spend that any, money. Any money on it? Yeah. So yeah, I'm not going to. Sorry. Yeah, and I, I I could be wrong on that about who operates it or whatever, but I, th I thought right. it was still part of that ESPN umbrella, but it was kind of its own, you know, its own thing. Where like, I mean, yeah, you can get it through Directv if you get like the ultimate package or whatever. The quality, it is the quality of Pac-12 football is boring. Mm -hmm. It's boring. And well, it's you know what? I don't, it's relative. I don't care who I, I mean, is at. Historically, there's there's really been, you know, not much defense in that conference, and. That's why you see a lot of you know quarterbacks come out of that conference. You see a lot of receivers come out of that conference, and 
a lot of them end up being busts. You know, a lot yeah. of them end up being very, very good. Well, there's a lot of like Sam Pac-12 Sam Darnold. Like, where's where is Sam Darnold? You know, going back a few Darnold years, like, is, where is Matt yeah. Barkley? Like, what the what only kind of career did did he end up having? The going only back, Pac-12 you know, Mark Sanchez, like Matt Leinart. You know, Mr. Like, Butt fumble himself, really? Yeah, and I guess I'm just rattling off USC quarterbacks. Well, the only Pac-12, the only Pac-12 quarterback that's even remotely noteworthy right now is your boy Justin, Justin Herbert. Herbert. Yeah, and he's and he's doing it. I mean, I was nervous. Never took a snap under center at the college level. At right. Everything was out of the shotgun, and I'm like, this so, is going to be a total bust. He's not going to be able to process. Well, because remember we everything. saw him at that game, and remember we saw him at that yeah. game in Dallas, and he was he was fine, but he blew that fourth quarter drive. Yeah, over overthrew his guy in the end zone, and I'm, I'm thinking like well, that's exactly who he's going to be. He's not going to be yeah. able to run play action. Um, no. he's you know everything is going to be you know moving to his left or moving to his right, and you know good luck teaching an entire NFL offensive line to you know right. to do that every single play. And it's like I'm, I'm thinking he, he's 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 not going to be able to to do it. But he's he's one of the best quarterbacks in the league right now, you know. Well, and you know, I think if there was a situation that was going to be the best for him to end up in, he did with the Chargers. Well, yeah, I mean, well, we are going to touch on that, you know, quickly next segment. Right. But, um, but yeah, really, really quick, you know, just kind of moving on, rounding out the top ten. We did touch on Oregon. Oregon falls down to twelve out of contention for the CFP um, Washington, who you mentioned was the one that knocked them off in their little rivalry game. Good for them. Um, yeah. Yeah. Moving back up LSU at number six. That, I'm good with that. that you're good with me. that. That's surprising. Yep. I mean, nope. to me, to me, it's surprising, but Hey, you know, you, you, you knock off Alabama. That's the the type of respect that you can command. And Brian Kelly's yep. got that team playing, you know, oh. extremely well right now. He, he went a from minute. a dumpster fire yeah. of a start to, to his tenure there. And the fact that he clinched the sec West over Alabama, uh, good for him. And you, you mentioned Harson losing the room at Auburn. You know, I thought that Kelly had yeah. already lost the room. At LSU, well, you know, really when he put on a before fake Southern there. accent <laughs> at, in his introductory press conference, and everybody's like, "What? What? What are you doing?" Yeah, exactly. Um, the one team that I think is just dog shit that does not belong. And why is TCU number four? They're they're undefeated. They're ten and 0. 10 and zero. <laughs> that I triggers mean, me, dude. Hey, I, I every everyone um, wanted to see him knock off Texas. They knock off Texas. So I don't know. I don't like it. I, I have. I well, they've got they, they've got Baylor this weekend. You know, there's something about have, TCU that just rubs me the wrong way. I don't know why. It just does. Their head coach has them playing extremely well. Um, I have watched a bit of TCU football this season. Mm. They they compete. They compete on every single play. They they go for every single ball. Is um, that Sunny um, Sunny Dykes right? They have a plan every single play. Um, I'm, I'm pulling yeah. it up right now because I'm just horrible. Remember. I think it's Sonny yeah. Dykes yeah. is their head Dykes. coach. Yeah, he's he he's got them playing, you know, extremely well. And right, I don't think I I think that they're in a situation like Cincinnati was in last year. Yeah, where it's like, yes, they're number four because they're undefeated and they they kind of have to be. Are they going to cause anybody trouble in the CFP? I don't think so. Just looking yeah, at well, if it ends if it shakes out the way it is right now, TCU's got Georgia. <laughs> good yeah, luck and, with that. And good luck. And I mean 
you know, let's say that Georgia takes an L in the SEC championship, which is possible. And let's say that, you know, Ohio State jumps up to number one um, and they're, they finish undefeated at 12 and 0, like TCU against Ohio State. No. TCU, right. TCU against Michigan? I, maybe. I mean, but point spread. The two, the, the top two teams in the country, point spread wise, margin of victory wise, is one Ohio State, two Michigan. So I don't yeah. see either of those two teams finding themselves in too many close games. And, you know, TCU finds themselves in some close games. And I just, I just don't like, you know, either of those matchups for, for TCU. Yeah. I don't know. You know, Michigan will probably celebrate uh, and, you know, like they did against Army when the Army took them to overtime. Yeah. Charge field. They beat TCU. <laughs> but so. yeah, I mean, just, you know, TCU knocks off Texas by 10 points, or, or sorry, by seven points. They, Texas Tech at home, they only beat by 10 points. Um, at West Virginia, they, they win by 10 points. Um, Kansas State at home, 10 points. Um, Oklahoma State at home, three points. So yeah. you know, Kansas, seven points. So you you see kind of a – I mean, even, even at, at SMU early in the season, you know, they win that game by eight points. So it's – you see a pattern with TCU of almost playing down – to their opponent's ability level. And you're not going to be able to do that against any of the three teams that are currently ahead of them. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, you know, games coming up this weekend, it's, it's kind of a cupcake week, um, certainly up and down the sec. They always schedule it kind of this way going into rivalry weekend. Um, yep. Ohio state has Maryland. Uh, so basically still a cupcake game for you. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, it should be a win. It's still a conference game, you know, um, which I always right. like. I don't like doing the non-conference thing the second last week of the season, but you know, a lot of teams. Or was it was wait was it Maryland? Do. Was it Maryland or was it Rutgers that you always made fun of? Is yeah, it's a conference game, but it's basically a cupcake. Oh, it's always Rutgers. That's what I thought. Okay, yeah. gotcha. <laughs> um, Maryland has uh, cool jerseys, and they have uh, little Tua as well. So little Tua. I, I I do give Maryland a little bit of respect, mainly for the jerseys. Um, they're actually pretty yeah. sick. So, yeah, Michigan well. probably has the biggest test out of anybody um, in the top four. Well, I mean, TCU has has Baylor. Um, you know, Who do they have TCU is at Baylor, so that's that's actually a pretty big test for them on the road. Um, Michigan, Michigan has, has who? Michigan has Illinois. Oh, actually, dude. At, Illinois, yes, Illinois man. It's Illinois at home up there in that shithole that is Ann Arbor. So they're not going on the road, but um, Ann Arbor's it, kind it, of a dump. Yeah, you know it'll be a test. Um, Michigan does always, you know, kind of have that moment where you know they they kind of look like they're going to stumble or they do stumble. Um, yeah, they had a couple interesting games, um, you know, earlier in the season um, that were close for different periods of time here and there. So maybe that's one to keep an eye on, uh, but yeah. not much going on in terms of matchups, you know, really this weekend, that's going to affect the CFP, at least on paper. Right. Yeah. But, you know, so that, that takes care of Saturday moving forward to Sunday, 
looking back at the NFL week 10, did you see, please tell me you at least saw the highlights of that Bills and Vikings game. You know, I'm so if I'm a fantasy owner and I have Josh Allen, Mm-hmm. Yo, are you there? We oh, lost NFL it. this past Sunday. Hey, um, you cut out for like thirty sorry. seconds. Uh, can you hear me? Yep. Okay, sorry about that. So, yeah, um, no, it's, I'm, I'm gonna... it's, it's that wonderful airport uh, hotel Wi-Fi. <laughs> I know, right? Seriously. Yeah. Um, so I'm gonna be honest, dude. I did not catch a single, a single bit of football. Um, the only thing I saw from that game was there's a lot of concern about Josh Allen's elbow. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think he might've played his way out of the MVP conversation. Um, And then I also noticed that Kirk Cousins uh, shirtless on an airplane can't dance. (laughs) No, Um, there was was never any doubt about that. I can't unsee that. Um, I think that whoever decided that that was a good idea needs to reevaluate their life. I like the moxie though. That's, that's moxie. Listen, man, if you just don't care, good for you. You know, you know, I mean, you (laughs) know me, but you know, you know me when it comes to dancing, I don't care. I can burn down a dance floor. I'm happy to do it. And Mm -hmm. I don't care if anybody likes it or hates it. I think it's awesome. That's all that matters. And Mm -hmm. if he thinks that same thing, good, good on him. Yeah. I mean, Um, you know, a lot of, a lot of people are putting that game kind of down to Josh Allen. Is the elbow affecting him? You know, is is it not um, on, on one of but those? But I think teams? a lot of people are also going to sit there and say, where has this Minnesota Vikings team been forever? Well, yeah, but uh, yeah, I mean, eight, eight and one, you know, they're, 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 they find a way. But they were marred in mediocrity, though, for a little while. Yeah, but Josh Allen on one of those interceptions gets hit as he threw it. You know, so yeah. that's kind of is that one really on him? You know, obviously the one that, later on in the game. Um, dude, did you see that? Did you see that hit though, where his elbow got torqued? Yeah, and that's going to oh. be something that he's going to have to play through. That's just how it is. That dude, my, I cringed so damn hard when I saw that. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, he's still able to go twenty nine for forty three, three hundred thirty yeah. yards. He uh, he threw for one touchdown. And of course, he threw the uh, two picks. You know, it's two really crucial points in the game, too. Yeah. Um, but Minnesota, they've got okay. So for me, Justin Jefferson is the best wide receiver in football right now. Justin Jefferson. And it's so, not even close. Yeah, uh, yeah. That one-handed I mean, catch yeah, that Jefferson, he had on fourth and eighteen. That is the that most that would have been the ball game. I've ever seen. He just he just one hand he he brought it in with one hand. It's not even like he went up and like palmed it and then brought it into his chest and then put two hands on it. He completed the process with one hand on the ball. That was nuts. The man is a physical freak of nature. And and it was at a, a point of the game where it was it was the only option. Fourth and eighteen. Yeah. And the man is the man is yeah. a freak of nature. And then of course you know you've got the goal line fumble right yeah. after you know it looks like the Bills are going to be able to escape with one and. You know, Kirk Cousins dives and doesn't get in the end zone. Turnover on downs. Then he got the fumble. You know, on the very next play, that yeah. that game had it all. That's you know, that's what the NFL can produce week after week. And we talked about this last week in in what is kind of a mediocre season, top to bottom. You don't have a lot of the same contenders that you have there. You know, at the top of the league, week in and mm. week out. 
But um, I was entertained by that game. Um, I went back and I watched the highlights uh, yeah. prepping for this show again. And well, speaking of mediocrity, then, I was like, whoa, you know, I was like, that was that was good football. Well, it was definitely. bad football, but it was entertaining football. Put it that oh, way. Definitely. But, but dude, listen, speaking of mediocrity, what the hell happened to the Chargers last week, dude? I mean, we we were watching that game live. You know, you're a Niners I guy. I'm, I, I was a Niners guy. I'm more of a Chargers guy now for sure. I still keep well, tabs you on the Niners because I enjoy talking ball with you and everybody else. Well, you else also sent me every middle finger emoji that is there. Yes, of course. Have to. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah, I mean, that – that was probably about as as contrasted of a football game as you can get compared to. Never the thought that would happen. I'm not. I'm not I thought lie. it was going to be good. I mean, Niners defense is strong. Chargers missing a lot of pieces on offense with their wide receiving core. Yeah. But I still thought that that was going to be you know a much better game than it was, especially with the Niners. You know, Christian McCaffrey being able to turn him loose. Um, okay, I take back finally. everything I said about Christian McCaffrey. By the way. Yeah, I mean, well, what, what what did you say about him? Because there's there's a lot being said about him right now. Well, so I thought that Christian McCaffrey, when we traded for Christian McCaffrey and I saw everything that we gave up to get him, I said, are you out of your freaking mind? Mm-hmm. You give up a second, third, or fourth, and a second to get him? Mm-hmm. Are you kidding me? A guy who cannot stay healthy to save his life and who has spent more time injured than playing the last three years. Mm-hmm. Okay. When I found out that we got him, I said, oh, God. Really? Okay. So then he goes and has an outstanding debut for the Niners and has an even better game the next week. Well, that. did he? Well, but, Here's his line. Um, 14 carries. Okay. 38 yards. 2.7 average. How many touchdowns? One. So he, he, he got in the house. You know, but he got in the house. That's the thing. He, okay. He, he put up six. Give him that. Um, receiving. Four receptions, which is good out of the backfield. I mean, Brandon Ayuk had six receptions. That was game okay. high for the Niners. Uh, Juwan Jennings had four, same as, as McCaffrey. So, mm-hmm. you know, McCaffrey's right there with, with the wide receivers. Four receptions, 39 yards, averaging 9.8, you know, per reception. Right. Um, and the long reception on that being that that 21-yard reception, which um, – But see, that's the thing. But but yeah. that's the thing right there is that, is – he brings kind that, of that, pers- that that multi-purpose, you know, yes. out of the backfield, similar to how they've used Debo in the past. Yes, he brings the versatility that I thought was way behind him. Mm-hmm. You know, but here's the thing: Elijah Mitchell still ends up with four more carries in his yeah. first week back off injury. So it's it's not even like he's you know established. He's just coming back. So you don't know what the hell you're going to get with Elijah Mitchell. He took that game over. 18 carries, 89 yards, 4.9 average on the ground. Didn't get in the house, but was really a game changer against a run defense in the Chargers that's at the bottom of the league right now. Yeah. I mean, I I mean, it, it just depends on whichever way you look at it. I mean, for me, I'm focusing on the positives and mm-hmm. – Everything that he's done, the versatility that he's shown in the backfield, and you know, catching passes and and getting in, getting in to the end zone and scoring is something that we have had problems with at the running back position. And he's going to continue to be, and you know, this is McCaffrey that we're talking about. Of course, he's he's right. going he's to continue to be a nightmare for defensive coordinators in the of red course zone. he is, and I think that that's but exactly what I'm saying what is right. And what I'm saying is is that. 
they went out and th- what they spent to get him at first, I was like, you got to be kidding me. But what I've seen, but, what I mean, he's done. They didn't even give up a first round pick. So it, it wasn't too bad, but it was a lot of you know, it, know, picks ultimately. Well, it's, yeah, it was a lot of picks. But then I look at what he's done mm-hmm. and I look at how he looks on the field, you know, from a, a, a fitness standpoint, a physicality standpoint, and how his body looks all together. He looks fast. You notice him when he's out there, uh, you know, and, and he affects the play even if he's not the one carrying the football. He could blast through the run defense coverage, and I'm thinking, okay, I like it. Mm-hmm. It's a good move mm-hmm. because we don't have a lot of depth at running back, and our running backs, our dude, the the running, the run scoring just is not is not solid. Yeah, I mean, all all of a sudden, Elijah Mitchell. You know, I I I picked him up on, on my fantasy team. You know, I Smart. had. I had somebody hit the IR. I forget who it was because I have like seven guys that could hit the IR at any at any point. But um, yeah, I picked him up, and you know, if McCaffrey does McCaffrey himself and go down with a calf injury or a hammy or a this or that, I'll see. Now, why would you, you jinx know, it like that? I'm just saying. I'm just saying. They've got another good one back there with Elijah Mitchell, and they still got Debo Samuel, who's one of the most talented guys in the league when it comes to versatility. So, well, you and I are going to be there on Christmas Eve, so let's hope that uh, that's true. You know, We're going to see it live. We're going to see it live. We're going to do it live. I'm, yeah, I'm excited. So I'm excited. I did this last week. I'm going to do it again this week. Looking forward to Sunday matchups yes. with teams where they both have well, a winning record, and it's like. It's a matchup where it's like, okay, this matchup has some playoff implications. Because last week, I think there were only two that, that we kind of talked about with the Vikings and the Bills kind of being one that we spotlighted a little bit. So this week, I mean, Sunday night game. It's Chiefs. Niners. It's Niners cards for me in Mexico City, dude. I, that's just that's that's my go-to matchup this week. But Cardinals have a losing record, and they're they're doesn't matter. It's divisional. There's it's definitely divisional. a non-zero chance that they'll be without Kyler Murray. So, well, true, but here's the thing. This is my argument for that. Okay, mm-hmm. and I'm just and I'm just being honest. So, my argument, the reason why I'm looking forward to this game is because one, you're a Niners is, fan. Well, shut your, you shut your <laughs> face. Okay, shut your mouth. Mm-hmm. So, listen, I'm looking forward to Niners Arizona. Is it in Mexico City? Yes. Okay, but that's that's just that's, cool at, that's at elevation. Different environment. Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's a different environment. Arizona's playing like ass. Mm-hmm. Okay. Unfortunately, um, I, have, I have Kyler Murray on my on my bench now. I know. <laughs> but the, so that, that brings an extra dynamic. Okay. It's a divisional matchup. So what does that mean? Right now the Niners are sitting in um the Niners are sitting uh right behind Seattle. So they need as many divisional wins as they can rack up. Okay. So if they have to go up against a cupcake, I wouldn't say Arizona's a cupcake, but if they have to go up against, um, you know, a team that's not doing as well in Arizona and they can get a win there, they can keep pace with Seattle, then mm-hmm. that's, you know, that's what's good. Yeah. So that's, that's my argument for me, just from a purely Homer type of a standpoint, just, that's just the Niners fan of me. But if I'm looking elsewhere, okay. Mm-hmm. If I'm looking elsewhere, um, I'm looking at, um, well, a few different games, I would say. I'm looking at Dallas and Minnesota because, you know, anything that causes Dallas Cowboy fans misery is good with me. That's what I've got circled, same as yeah. I had Vikings Bills circled last week because Cowboys are 6-3 and three right. right now. They're coming off of um, a loss against, you know, an Aaron Rodgers-led 
kind of wide receiver less. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, the de facto owner of, of the Dallas Cowboys. Exactly. Like, I mean, you, you can shit on Aaron Rodgers all that you want. He will always find a way to beat the Cowboys. <laughs> and that's <laughs> always fine with me. Life. Yeah. But, um, just but to that's going to be a tough one. To... But Vikings coming off of that big win, you know, maybe they see a little bit of a letdown. Cowboys sitting there at six and three. All of a sudden, that, yeah. that NFC East is incredibly um, – competitive every single team is, is above 500 well at or above 500 it's it's nuts yeah yeah the only other game that i have circled that i'm looking forward to christine's gonna love this is the giants because uh the giants i think giants and detroit is gonna be a sneaky good game because jared goff has actually been kind of on a hot streak lately he has been and that's been surprising and how the hell are the giants at home this this weekend on Sunday, they're at home. Mm-hmm. They're seven and two right now. They're four and one at home on the season, and they're only Gables, a three. I mean, they're Brian only Gables a three point favorite. To them. They're only a three point favorite against the three and six Lions, who are one and three on the road. That doesn't make sense to me. Well, that doesn't make sense to me either. But then again, you go back and you look at what Jared Goff has done the, the last yeah. few games, and I think that they're kind of making it a close game because I think. A lot of people think it's going to be Danny Dimes versus Jared Goff, and the touchdowns are going to be a flowing. It could be over under on that's so, 40, 45, by the way. So it's up there. Well, that's that's I'm betting you that's why it's such a close spread. Yeah, it's interesting it's though. Yeah, that's that, that's going to be one to to keep an eye on for me. I, I think yeah. the Giants win by at least ten points. I mean, aside from that though, there's just not a lot of games. I mean, aside from my pick, uh, Niners Arizona, there's just not a lot of games that I'm really looking forward to. I would say it's more individual teams like i said the giants i'm looking forward to seeing mm-hmm. um i think vegas denver is going to be a snooze fest um but dallas and minnesota is probably the other one in fact i'm betting that's probably gonna be the fox game of the week all right that's sorry that's on cbs so never mind but well um chargers and chiefs got flexed into the sunday night spot and that's true i did and see even that that's going to be even a that matchup well, even that matchup, you know, coming off of the way that the Chargers performed against the 49ers, they had 52 total yards of offense in, in the entire second half. It, it was I'm, – I'm pretty sure it was 52. It was 52 or 57. But 50-something yards of total offense in the second half. It was, it was brutal. And it's like, okay, you know, is that really – is that really a, a big matchup to watch now? I mean, yeah, it's a divisional matchup, but Chiefs are sitting there at seven and two. Chargers are five and four. Every single week that goes yeah. by, the, the the Chargers who were, you know, a dark horse for the Super Bowl to start the season, they're they're fading further and further away from even playoff contention. But I mean, but the, the Chiefs, though. I mean, you know, there was a time when the Chiefs were uh, the Chiefs kind of. Would, would would intimidate people, right? Oh yeah, for sure. There was this there was an intimidation factor that you're just not seeing right now with the Chiefs. Okay. They don't, don't have much why. of an Maybe, of an identity in the run game. And that's kind of what well, it they is. They also don't me. have a lot well and they don't have Tyreek Hill. And I think he was a huge playmaker for them. Oh yeah, absolutely. So I just there's there's just not a lot about them right now that you know, intimidates me if I'm if I'm a you know a, somebody who's a fan of, in that division like you. Well, so, they just picked up Kadarius Tony, and that's oh, going to be a well, guy who I think I, is a, a huge game changer for them. Um, I take it back. 
Yeah, and I'm just um, I'm pulling up his numbers. Four receptions, 57 yards, and a touchdown. Um, caught four out of five targets, and that was only his second game, you know, with that team. So he's and they didn't have to give up very much to get him. I don't think, right? No, like like nothing because he 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 wanted out of um, out of New York and the Giants uh, so bad. So he's going to be a really? weapon. Um, they still have Juju Smith-Schuster, who suffered a concussion uh, last game, but he's he was finally playing well um, for them. But he got knocked out, you know, with a concussion. Of course, Travis Kelsey is still there, and that's that's kind of who you're looking at. You know, Jared Jarek McKinnon, um, another guy for oh, them. Don't get me started on him. Oh, geez. they they've got depth at the wide receiver position. It's just a matter of how is it all going to shake out. But for me, it's their rushing attack that that they're really lacking. And I mean, here's how they're rushing stacked up last week. You had Isaiah Pacheco with 16 carries. Then you had Patrick Mahomes with seven. And then you had Kadarius Tony with two. So, I mean, you've got a quarterback and a wide receiver, you know, right behind your, your, your running back who only had 16 carries himself. So it's, it's that lack of, you know, a run game for the Chiefs that really doesn't make them that intimidating. Um, and maybe that's why, you know, Sunday night's game could be a really good matchup um, against the Chargers who who do have issues defending the run. Um, well, and I guess you can add that to my list of games I'm going to watch then or just keep an eye out for. Well, you're absolutely going to be watching it because you're going to be here. And Oh, yeah, your house, yeah, your rules, right? You know, unless you want to be in the timeout corner outside. Um, well, I mean, listen, I mean, find me a time that I haven't been put in the timeout corner outside of your house. <laughs> yeah, so it's spread on that as one. As long as you fix me one of your legendary old fashions, then we'll be fine. Of course. See, no no doubt about that. Um, Good man. Spread on that one, Kansas City by five and a half, over under of 50. So could see well, quite a bit of score in that one. Versus Mahomes. I don't, that's, that's, yeah, that sounds yeah. about right. Well, I think that that's a good spot to kind of cut it off here. Um, Sounds good. But, yeah, you know, definitely looking forward to this weekend. Big weekend of college football. Me too. Big weekend of NFL games. Well, I guess not that And uh, looking forward to but, drinking with your ass. Yeah, looking forward to having you down here. Um, we'll do the next one uh, live and in person. Let's record that Monday night um, at some point. You know, we got a drink. We got a drink oh, yeah, this for time, sure. dude. We'll, we'll, we'll get a good lather going on. Uh, we'll throw the Monday night game on the TV and keep an eye on that one. And uh, let's, uh, let's knock that one out Monday night. Are we going to get a good meat sweat? Or are we going to get... Oh, always. I mean, what are we going to do? Yeah, always. My, my man. Good hashtag meat All right, sweat thanks going. for tuning in. It's suspended indefinitely. All right, I'm Justin Reschke for Ryan Noonan. Like he said, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week. All right, Max Verstappen, go to your room. <laughs>